Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. You might hear us referring to a phone number to call as this podcast is taken from a live radio show. Instead of calling the phone number, you can get in touch with us on our website at McNamaraFinancial.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And good morning. My name is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to McNamara on Money. What a country America is. I'm sitting here in southwest Florida, zooming a live radio show to the south shore of Massachusetts, Marshfield in particular, and surrounding towns. And at the same time, the Merrimack Valley. What a deal here. Anyway, good morning, folks. This is a live call-in talk radio show. The subject for today is going to be what I think is a pretty important one. And the official title of the show is how do you take income from your investments? Ah, you invest money, you try to save it for a long time, and ultimately you want to take income or capital from those investments, probably a little before you retire and maybe a bunch after you retire. How do you do that? What's the best way? How does all that work? And anything else, we have rules, regulations, tax codes, and investment risk to worry about. So it's a it's a pretty scary process for a lot of people. And, and the more different kinds of investments that you have, the more of a challenge it is to try to figure out the most efficient way to take money from your retirement plan. So we're going to spend some time talking about that. That's the entire show. And this is a call-in talk radio show. So... If you have a question about taking income from your investments, this is your special day. Uh, our telephone number is 781-837-4900. And if you're in the Merrimack Valley, don't get nervous about that phone number. Uh, this is a live call-in talk show when I can talk to anybody from the South Shore of Boston or the Merrimack Valley. So who doesn't have a question about how do you take money for your investments, whether you're pre-retirement and starting to think about that or whether you're already retired and maybe have a few little questions about what the heck's going on and how does this work. All right, to start off with, okay, how do you take income from your investments? You need the answer to what I figured out would be six questions. I'm going to spend a, a few moments going over each question at, I guess I would say, the 50,000 foot level to give you an idea of the things that you're going to be thinking about. And then probably the last three quarters to half of the show, we're going to get into the weeds and, and do some particular examples of this, that, and the other thing. I know that sounds funny, but it will get very uh, clear very shortly here. And again, this is a call and talk radio show. I'd much rather chat with folks who have questions about how to take income from your investments than to do a monologue here for the next hour or so. So 781-837-4900 and let us begin. Okay, so question number one that you need to think about is which investment box slash vehicle do you take your income from? 
what the heck's an investment box or vehicle. Okay, folks, this is important stuff and pretty easy to understand, okay? We have boxes in the investment world. The more professional term might be vehicles that allow you to invest. And we have investments in those boxes or in those vehicles. So for the rest of this show, I will use the word box and vehicle interchangeably, but they're places that you put investments in. Okay. And so here's a list, a pretty good size list of the different kinds of boxes or investments that you can put your money in over time. Okay. There's a whole category that we're going to call official retirement plans. Okay. This is pretty simple and pretty easy. Okay. You have individual retirement accounts that people can add to on their own. You have 401k plans where people at work can contribute money out of their paycheck. And you also have some other government sponsored plans for folks at various workplaces. Uh, and they have funny numbers like a 403B, that would be generally teachers and some public employees, and 457 plans, that would be sometimes government employees. So that whole box okay, is what I'm going to call qualified retirement plans. And again, they are IRAs, not Roth IRAs. We'll get to that in a minute. IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, 457 plans, okay? All of those boxes, or okay, involve putting money in from your paycheck before taxes, and at the end, any money you take out of there is all taxed as income because you had a chance to hide all that money for a long time. So investment vehicle number one, qualified retirement plans. Okay, investment vehicle number two, I would say Roth IRAs and Roth 401ks, a different kind of a qualified retirement plan, but they deserve their own category. Uh, Roth 401ks and Roth IRAs, you put after-tax money in and you take it out tax-free later on down the line. So that's box or vehicle number two, Roth. It starts with Roth. Vehicle number three is any kind of a taxable investment account. Okay, the taxable investment accounts, if you have some money in your own name at the bank or a brokerage company, that's called an individual account. If you have a jointly owned account or a with, with a spouse or a sibling or somebody else, we call that a joint account. And we have all manner of trust accounts, okay? Taxable investment boxes, taxable investment vehicles, okay, individual accounts. By the way, forget about what the investments are. We'll get to that in a minute. It's what box you choose to put the investments in. Taxable investment accounts, individual accounts, joint accounts, trusts, and I'm sure I missed a few, but those are the big ones. Okay, two more. Okay, anybody who owns an annuity, okay, that's a box all by itself. They're complicated, they're interesting, we'll get into some more details. But if you have your money in an annuity, okay, that is a choice, a box or a vehicle. By the way, there are two kinds of annuities. I know this is getting a little confusing, but uh, if you contribute to an annuity through your retirement plan, then that annuity is basically a retirement plan, an official one, and you have to follow the taxation rules. Okay, if you choose to do 
a non-qualified annuity. That's the term, but that's the official one. It's mon- It's an annuity. You just put some of your own money in there as an individual or jointly, okay, and invested those dollars. Non-qualified annuities are investment vehicles, and they differ enough from other qualified annuities to, to make a separation there. And then last and not least, and we won't spend a lot of time on this, but there's rental income from investment properties that you may own. Okay, okay, so those are the main boxes, the main places where you can put money in. Okay, and again, official retirement plans, IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, okay, and 457 plans, Roth IRAs and Roth 401ks, taxable investment accounts, individual accounts, joint accounts, trust accounts, qualified annuities, go inside retirement plans, non-qualified annuities, you put your money in on your own, and rental income. Okay, so depending on how many of those boxes or vehicles you own, yep, the, the more that you own, the more choices you have about what's your income strategy when you take money out of those boxes, okay? And the more boxes you own, the more complicated it it gets. But generally speaking, if your life is more complicated, you usually have more money, and that's a good thing from my point of view. Folks, this is the call-in talk radio show. We're talking about how do you take income from your investments. And if that's a question in your mind, I'd love to hear from you. Whether you're in the Merrimack Valley or the South Shore of Boston, our telephone number is 781-837-4900. The only dumb question is the one that you don't ask. Okay. Okay. When people start thinking about how you take money from boxes, usually, okay, you do it considering the tax implications. Okay, so let's see. Taking money out of an individual or a taxable account, okay, may involve some taxes. Taking money out of your IRA involves 100% taxes and usually at income level. So we'll get into those weeds, but the bottom line is most people try to, if you have multiple choices, you try to pick the boxes to take money from that have the least tax consequences. For lots of folks that works, but for some other folks that might not. And again, when we get to the details, we can talk about that. Okay, if you have two or three different investment vehicles in our list there, okay, maybe one of those boxes or vehicles is off limits to take income, okay, and you just set that aside. Folks have accounts for certain purposes that they might not include in their income. You might want to leave an IRA that you have to your kids and you don't touch money out of that that IRA at the bank or wherever it is, okay, or you might want to use the funds in that account for a specific specific purpose somewhere down the line. Okay, so again, usually you think about picking from boxes or most are tax efficient, okay? And there may be some of those vehicles that are off limits for that purpose. And that's perfectly fine. Some people do that all the time. Okay, if you have some money in the bank in an IRA, that's one box. And if you have an IRA at an investment firm with some stocks and bonds, and that's another box, okay, which one do you voluntarily take money out of? How, how does that all work? Okay, let's see. The, one, the investment vehicle is making more money. I think I'll take the money out of the bank vehicle. Or some people may say, 
I'm going to take the money out of investments and take my profits because that's risky and I know that. So, so again, okay, if you have multiple boxes of money, okay, and there are different kinds of investments in those boxes, it can get pretty complicated, okay, about you know how you do this and how this all works, okay? And to boot, on top of that, some of those investment vehicles, retirement plans, qualified retirement plans and annuities, they have some rules about when you have to take money out. Okay, the way it stands now uh, in this country, this week, okay, if you have a qualified retirement plan, okay, you're required to take money out of there in some proportion when you turn age 73. By the way, that's about 3.7% of what the value of the account is. But so some of the boxes that you own, some of the vehicles that you own may make you start taking some money out of there, whether you like it or not. And the same applies for non-qualified annuities. Remember, those are the annuities that you put your own money in. They weren't part of an official retirement plan. Okay. When you get into your 90s, there are many insurance companies that make you start taking money out of that annuity. They may give you, may give you some choices, but, but officially there may be a forced ending to an annuity that you own. That's something that you ought to know. Okay, that was question number one, and I think you understand how complicated this might get. If you just have one IRA in the bank with all your money, then life is easy. Uh, if you have an annuity, and if you have a taxable joint account, and if you've got a 457 plan, and oh yeah, a couple of Roth IRAs, yeah, you got some work to do to think about what you want to do and how you want to do that. Okay, okay, so question number two is, I've got all these boxes, okay, which vehicle do you take it from? Do you take it from stocks or from bonds or from cash or from winners or from losers? What criteria do you use, okay, to say, I'm going to take it out of this box over here and not that box over there this year for the following reason? All kinds of reasons, all kinds of possibilities, but that's basically, okay, some choices on this table and uh, how you do that uh, could be a better or worse choices depending on the circumstances. Okay, so question number three, the money that you take out, how is this money going to be taxed by the U.S. government and by the state government, okay? I'm going to speak generically about taxes here, and we'll get into a little bit more in the weeds, either later this show or maybe uh, I'll have to do a second show here because I'm already behind schedule here. But anyway, okay, so again, if you have a qualified retirement plan, IRA that you put money in before taxes, 401k, 403b, 457. Anytime you take money out of that vehicle, out of that box, it's 100% taxed as regular ordinary income to you. By the way, the highest tax rates that people have are always at the income tax, ordinary income tax level. We have other kinds of taxes called capital gains taxes, get to those, okay? But anyway, okay, so again, any money that comes out of a qualified retirement plan is 100% tax when it's taken out. By the way, anything that goes on inside that retirement plan, whether you're moving around down investments, getting new ones, getting old ones, taking profits, anything that happens in a qualified retirement plan, okay, there are no tax consequences 
while you're fooling around with your investments in the box. Okay, only when you take money out of the box does that work. Okay, that's income taxes, okay? Okay, if you own some stocks, okay, stocks generate dividends. And uh, again, these stocks, are if they're outside of an official retirement plan, if they're in a joint account or a taxable account, okay, stock dividends are taxed two ways. Okay, it's a little complicated, but I'll safely say that if you own the stock for less than six months or eight months, and there's a tricky little IRS explanation of this, okay, the dividends that you have, if you owned it only for a short term, may be taxed as regular income. Remember, that's high. Okay, if you own the stock for at least a year or long term, okay, it's called a qualified dividend, and it's not taxed at income tax rates. It's taxed at capital gains rates, and those are more favorable for everybody that's listening to me, okay? So we have dividends, okay? We have interest from stocks or bonds outside of qualified retirement plans, okay? Interest generally classified as taxable income. Okay, a long-term gain is if you own something for more than a year and you take a profit. If you bought something for $10,000 and a year later, a year and a day later, sold it for 15,000, you have a $5,000 profit, okay? And that profit will be taxed at capital gains rates. Okay, for the purpose of this show, capital gains are always less than income tax for anybody who's a taxpayer, but what the capital gain is depends on your income. I'm sorry, don't shoot the messenger. That's just how the world is here, folks. Okay, but anyway, long-term capital gains are more favorably taxed for everybody, okay, than, than income taxes. By the way, if you bought that thing for 10,000, okay, and sold it six months later, or 15,000, that's called a short-term capital gain. And you were gonna pay income tax rates on that because it was a short-term, okay? And then last and not least, and there aren't too many of these, there are some kinds of investments that are tax-free, okay? The, the historic example is uh, municipal bonds issued by city, states, and towns, okay? The, the, the town of Marshfield or the city of Lowell needs to borrow some money to, to build this, that, or the other thing. They'll issue bonds. People will buy those bonds. And any interest from a municipal bond is tax-free, okay, to the federal government, okay, and to the state that issued it. You can't beat that, folks, and tax-free. And we have a new category of tax-free stuff in the last few years called Roth IRAs or Roth 401ks, okay? When you put money into either of those, you do not, I repeat, you do not get a tax deduction, but a long time from now, when you take money out of there in any way, shape, or form, it's all tax-free. So that's generally how that works, okay? All right, so that's how it gets taxed, okay? When it comes to worrying about taxes, you can really only plan, okay, or tax plan with the way existing tax laws are, okay? Uh, to, to make a guess about where taxes are going or what they're going to do in Washington or the State House, that's a dangerous thing to do. We're forever seeing there's a bill in Congress that's going to raise this tax or do that tax, whatever. If you're going to be concerned about taxes, a simple piece of advice would be just plan for the way laws are because nobody knows the future. 
Okay, and then last of all, and we're just coming up on a break, Tim, I know in about a minute or two here, so this might be pretty good. Okay, people have this paranoia, fear, lack of understanding about taxes. By the way, I, I have fear just like everybody else. I hate paying taxes, probably like just about everybody. I wish they'd use them better. But anyway, nobody likes, okay, to think about taxes, okay? And so people are always trying to save taxes. So I, 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 the advice I'm going to give is do not let the tax tail wag the dog of your life. And, and let me explain. If you're in a high tax bracket, and you pay a lot of taxes, congratulations. Okay, you, you, you're, if you have a huge capital gain on something that you bought, congratulations. Okay, if you strive to be in a low tax bracket, I'm not sure if that's a good plan to try to be in a low tax bracket. So I'm gonna give you an example, and I think I can make this to the break. We'll see how this goes. So um, if you are a married couple in this country in 2024, and your income is exactly $83,550, you are at the top of what we call the 12% federal tax bracket. Okay, so geez, I'm only in the 12% bracket, that's a good thing. Okay, so you earned $83,000, here's the deal. I did some calculations this morning, these are pretty close. Okay, of that $83,000 income, $9,645 went to the federal government, and $4,277 went to the state of Massachusetts. Start with 83,550, end up after paying those two with 69,758, okay, 12% tax bracket. If you happen to be a joint couple in the 24% tax bracket, the top of that bracket is $340,000. Okay, if you earned that, you paid $97,296 in federal taxes. By the way, it was only 9,600 in the 12% bracket. And you paid $17,000 of Massachusetts taxes. It was only 4,200, okay, in the 12% bracket. Wait a minute, that's $86,000 in taxes. And congratulations, there's 253,797 left. So let me, thank you, Tim. So very quickly, 83,000 net 69, 12%, and 340,100 net 253. Which tax bracket would you like to be in? I think you would vote for the 24% bracket happily and pay those $86,000. Okay, we're going to take a break. We'll be back quickly. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. We're back. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money. I'm broadcasting from the south of Florida. Sorry about that, folks, but what a country. There's a radio show I'm talking on right now, WATD in Marshfield, Massachusetts, and WCAP in Lowell, Massachusetts. And so I'm broadcasting live to the south shore of Boston in the Merrimack Valley. And this is a call-in talk radio show, folks. The, tel the subject is how do you take money 
how do you take income from investments? Uh, what, what, what's the deal there? Pretty important stuff if you're retired and, and want to live a long and happy life. And our phone number here, it's a call and talk radio show, 781-837-4900. If you're on the Merrimack Valley, don't get nervous about that number. It works just fine. And again, love to chat with some folks if you have questions about taking income, whether you're retired or not from your investments. What, what's the best way to do that? Uh, and the more different kinds of investments that you have, the more challenging that process is. Um, what I'm trying to do here on the first of what I think is going to be a couple of shows is to go over some questions. By the way, all I'm going to do for this show and probably the next one is create a bunch of questions that you should be asking because Everybody listening to me has a different situation and different set of circumstances. I just want you to be aware of some things that you need to be thinking about. And again, uh, don't be shy. If you want to chat about that, pick me, pick up the phone and just give me a call. Anyway, so we, the, the, I'll do it very quickly here. The first question is, which investment box or investment vehicle do you take your income from? The second question is, which investments in that box or that vehicle do you take it from? Do I take it from the stocks, the bonds, the cash, whatever? The third question is, how is it going to be taxed? Okay, and now we get into the last three of those six questions. So question number four is, how do you take your income? Do you take it as you need it at regular intervals? Well, let's go over this. Most people live on a monthly basis. And most of the folks I work with who are in retirement, okay, choose to take their income on a monthly basis because that's generally the way we work our lives. That is not the case for everybody. And, and there may be some other reasons to do that. Okay. I have some folks that I work with who have pretty good income from pensions or social security and they have relatively small IRAs. And, and if you're, if your required minimum distribution that they make you take, okay, is six or $7,000 a year, a lot of people would say, just send me that, that lump sum check and I'll take care of it. When you are taking income from investments, you may have a choice about taking that monthly, or you may have a choice about taking that as a lump sum once a year. Taking it monthly is probably a little more conservative or more prudent because generally people don't spend money that doesn't show up on the checkbook. I shouldn't say that, but I think you know what I mean. Okay, if for folks who take a lump sum, it might be pretty easy to run out of that money before you run out of the year that you planned on. But anyway, just understand that, that you need to plan for how often you take that. Okay, and another way that income comes is that it may just come from the income itself automatically. If you own some individual stocks or bonds, Okay, they send their dividends and interest out, okay, on usually a quarterly basis for stocks and usually a semi-annual basis twice a year for bonds. Okay, so you may not have a choice that the, the, the income may come when it can come to things. So is it just, you need to just think about what works best and what your choices are, okay, and, and what paperwork is involved in getting that started, stopped, or adjusted. It can get confusing, but the, the, those are the questions, okay? And then a pretty important question, number five on my list is, do you set aside this income in advance of your needs, okay? Or do you just take it 
as it comes, okay? So this is a biggie. Let me give you an example. Let's see, suppose you have an IRA. How shall I do this? Yeah, okay. Suppose you have an IRA, and to make the example a little bit more clear, it's 100% invested in stocks. This is just an example, folks. Don't get nervous necessarily. Okay, and if all your money in that IRA is in stocks, Okay, obviously the thing bounces up and down on a pretty regular basis, okay? So if you take money out of an investment that's volatile like that, okay, on a regular basis, sometimes it's high. Oh, it's profitable, I'm making some money. Sometimes it's low. If you've seen your monthly statements, folks, on your, in your investments, you know that they go up and down. So if you're gonna just once a month liquidate some funds uh, or have your uh, custodian liquidate some funds to send you that check, okay? If you do it as you go, there are pluses and minuses to that. Uh, I, I have no recommendation either way. It differs for different people how they feel, what their situation is. Uh, but p- please understand that taking it as you go, as you go could get a little exciting because if you're taking money out of an account and every month for two and a half years it shrinks, you might not get back to where you were ever or a very long time from there. So there's a a risk of that given the circumstances. The second thing that you might do is instead of every month taking some money, maybe I'll figure out what I need for a year Okay, I need twenty five. I need twenty four thousand dollars out of this investment for a year. That's two thousand bucks a month. Okay, I think I'm going to sell twenty four thousand dollars worth of stuff in this account. Leave it in the account. Put it in a money market fund, and I'll just send myself two thousand dollars a month for a year. I got it covered. I don't have to worry about what happens with the stock market. And then a year from now, I do it again. Okay, in in my business, we call those income buckets. Okay, dry powder protection against markets going up or down. Okay, you might say, geesh, I I think I want to buy two years of protection from my income. In that simple example, okay, you'd maybe sell 24 times two, $48,000 worth of stuff in your IRA leave the money in your IRA, but invest it in a money market fund, a nice, safe, low-risk vehicle, and set up a $2,000 per month check to you. And bingo, okay, you just bought yourself two years of dry powder or protection against market downturns, okay, so that you don't have to get nervous if it hits the fan because you got two years worth of protection. Now, there are some variations on how to create buckets, but I think you get the idea. Two basic choices, okay, uh, take it as it goes or plan ahead and tuck some aside, okay? I, I think the odds, don't do this on my guess, I think the odds are that if you take it as you go and you're in a, a higher percentage of stocks and bonds, you might make out better over the long time sometimes, okay, doing that than planning ahead. The planning ahead and setting up income in a safe place to be withdrawn over time, it does buy peace of mind, it does buy comfort, and it's a risk strategy as far as I'm concerned. If people who are new to investing get really nervous, okay, when the market and their investments go down 20% in a year, 
if they know they've got another year or two, okay, of money to inside the account and, and don't have to worry about it, hopefully they'll wait for things to recover and hopefully they do. So again, do you set aside income in advance or do you take it, okay, as you need it? A big decision, by the way, for, for most folks. Okay, and then last and not least, question number six, and this is actually the biggie, is are you taking more than you're making? Okay, let me explain. Again, this is pretty important, okay? I'll use a simplistic example, then get a little bit more detail. If all of your money is in a CD in the bank for 10 years, okay, locked up at 5% today. This is just an example, folks. And if you've got basically $100,000 in that CD, I guess it's generating $5,000 a year for you in income, okay? So that, that income... Okay, it's $5,000 a year. By the way, if you just take the $5,000 per year, then you're taking what you're making, okay? And that that's pretty comfortable if you start thinking about that. That the only problem with that, and, and it might take a year or two or three to, to figure out the problem, is that $5,000 in year one and $5,000 10 years from now don't buy you the same amount of stuff or don't have you live in the same life. There's this thing called inflation. But if you're taking equal to what you're making, okay, you still have to worry about inflation, but it sure makes a lot more comfort than taking more than you're making. If you had $100,000 in a CD in retirement, okay, and it was generating 5,000 per year, Okay, you can take money out of a CD of most banks in retirement and not have a penalty. Maybe you're taking 7000 a year okay, from that because that's what you need. That's $2,000 more okay, than it's able to pay. Okay, you, think, you need to think about that because what happens is your investment capital starts to shrink if you're using your capital. On the one hand, that capital is yours and you saved it for retirement. On the other, if you're taking your capital as well as your earnings, okay, the, the question you have to ask yourself is, well, how long uh, does that go on <laughs> before I run out of money? Okay, uh, and that's a tricky question. Are you taking more than you're making? Okay, so probably the worst situation to be in, now let's go to an investment account, okay? Let's say you have a diversified uh, strategy, of 60% stock mutual funds and 40% bond mutual funds, okay? And, and I'm making up the numbers, folks. They're close, but I'm making it up so that you understand, okay? Th that kind of a portfolio, okay, probably generates about three or three and a half percent in ongoing income and dividends, okay? So let's put that $100,000 into that box, Okay, the income and dividends are only three and a half percent. If you're taking 5,000 from that box, then you certainly hope that your account grows 5% per year because you can take 5% out of an account that earns 5%. It's just a question of, well, that 5% is made up of income, but not all of it. And you have to have some growth built into that to be okay. Many folks are taking money 
from investment accounts like I just described, and they're taking more than just the naturally occurring dividends and interest are. And by the way, that's okay as long as you have enough growth in the portfolio, okay, to justify the money that you're taking. So anyway, so let's stay with that account for a moment. If you're 60% stocks, 40% bonds, okay, in our practice, we make a guess. This is just a guess, folks. Don't bet your life on this. That over the long run, if you have a fairly diversified 60% stock and 40% bond strategy, you could probably long-term earn somewhere between 5 and 7% a year. And I'll just use six in the middle of that just for this example. Let me think about this. If you can average six, okay, by the way, let's say three of that was dividends and interest that occur and three of it was growth and you're taking five, you're okay. All right, so here's the moral of the story, and it depends on what you have and where your money is and all other kinds of things. But if you sit down at the beginning or end of a year, I don't care which, and you add up all the money that you took from your different investments. And by the way, this was before taxes, because you may have some taxes withheld before you get your IRA money. But if you add up all the money gross that you took from your investments, and if you add up all your investments total. And if you divide, you get that percentage withdrawal from your investment. Geez, let's see here. I took $20,000 of income last year and I have a million dollars in my retirement plan. Oh, I have a 2% withdrawal rate. I think I'm okay. Or let's see, I took $80,000 Okay, from my retirement plan last year, okay, and it earned 6%, I'm starting to shrink my capital. Folks, please understand, it's your capital, and a lot of folks I work with, okay, and I'm sure a lot of folks listening to this show, okay, are spending more than just their dividends, interest, and growth, and touching your capital. And it's okay to do that because it's yours, but if your capital is shrinking over time, so isn't the amount of money that it's able to generate. And yeah, it's like the Pac-Man deal here. Sooner or later, okay, if, if you're earning six and taking eight, and then throw inflation on top of that, which makes the eight even more, then how do you figure out how long the money's gonna last? Am I gonna run out of money? Question I get just about everybody who walks in the door, say, here's how much money I have, let's figure out what I need to take, how long is it gonna last, okay? Nobody knows, but you can make some pretty good guesses about that, but you really, you, you, you need to at least know and ask the question, what's this looking and how's this working, sort of thing. All right, let me rehash six questions here. Okay, very quickly in summary, and then we're going to start moving into some details and get a little bit more down at ground level versus 50,000 feet here. Okay. And by the way, this is a, a call in talk radio show. If you have a question about how you take income from your investments, I'm easy to talk to. The number here is 781 837 4900. If you're in the Merrimack Valley or if you're in the uh, South Shore of Boston, I am standing by and waiting. I'm a certified financial planner. I've been in this business for, I shouldn't say this, 43 years and change and still cooking here. So if you have some questions, I might be able to answer them. Anyway, here are the questions. You have to ask if you're going to take income from your investments. Okay. Question number one, 
which investment vehicle, that's the official term, or investment box do I take it from? Boxes include official retirement plans, okay, non-official retirement plans, taxable investment accounts like joint and individual, okay, and trusts, and annuities, okay? Question number two, which investments in that box slash vehicle do you take it from? Do I take it from the stocks or the bonds or the cash? Do I take it long-term gain, short-term gain? Tax? How, how does this all work? And yeah, folks, the more boxes you have, the more complicated it is, but that probably means you have more money to worry about, so that's good. Okay, question number three, how is the money going to be taxed by the United States government and the state of Massachusetts? Okay, mucho different ways. Okay, taxed as taxable income, taxed as dividends, tax as interest, long-term gains, short-term gains, tax-free, okay? All these vehicles come with different possibilities. You should probably know them. Question number four, how do you take your income? Okay, do you take it as you need it? I'm gonna, once, let's see, I just ran out of my, my income pot here. I'll go to my investments and take some more. So do you take it when you need it? Do you take it as you need it every month? Or do you set aside some money in advance to try to protect yourself against the up and downs of crazy financial markets and whatever may happen. Don't know, those are the questions. And then, by the way, okay, are you taking more than you're making? And if you are, okay, that is cause to pause, think and do some analysis and, and try to figure out how that's gonna look. And honestly, I work with a whole lot of motivated people as to Justin and Alyssa and Kirk and our business. and. Even if you're trying to figure this all out, it's a pretty complicated process. And if you have multiple buckets and boxes, you might be well served to work with a financial advisor who can, or a tax person who can guide you through that. So just think about that. Okay, all right, so those are the questions. Let's go to page two. Okay, all right, last and not least, okay, before I get to some particulars, okay, two problems that people have or face when it comes to thinking about taking money from your investments. Okay, the, the first problem is that people generally underestimate the expenses, okay, in retirement and therefore the amount of money that they actually need to take from their retirement plan. This is big folks, and I need to take a, a moment here. A lot of folks that we meet for the first time say, how much do I need in my retirement plan to be okay? What's the number? Is it 500,000? Is it a million? Is it whatever? Okay, that you can't answer that question until you answer the question, but how much are you gonna take from it? If you have $40,000 in a retirement plan when you retire, and you need $1,000 a year from it, you're in great shape. Okay, if you have a million dollars in a retirement plan and you need 250,000 a year from it, you're in bad shape, okay? And so the point is, okay, that what your expenses are in retirement will absolutely positively determine how much money you have to take from your nest egg. Let's see, I got my social security over here and a little pension over there. Hey, I'm 25,000 bucks short. That's how much I got to take out of my retirement plan. Okay, yeah, I guess that's correct. Okay, but th please think about that, folks. Okay, uh, 
I work and we work with very motivated people because they hired a financial advisor to help them out. We're all certified financial planner practitioners. We have some mileage in terms of understanding what's going on, and we have some pretty sophisticated software. And it is quite easy. Okay, the majority, the significant majority of the folks we work with miss estimating on their retirement expenses okay, by at least 5 to 10%, if not more. Okay, And so my, my conclusion is, that if, if we work uh, as financial advisors with some motivated people who are thinking about their finances and trying to make it work and, and doing the best they can, okay, uh, if they miss on their expenses by 5 or 10%, okay, then probably that's the case for a whole bunch of folks listening to me as well. Say, if you underestimate what your expenses are and therefore underestimate what you need to take from your retirement plan, Okay, and then retire and not know that, you could be unpleasantly surprised at how fast that money's going given the circumstances. So please, oh please, oh please, okay, if you're thinking about retirement, actually you should be doing this at any age, but have a budget, know what you spend, pay attention to it. There are lots of folks listening to me who've never had to do that because they make enough money to not worry about it. You know, guess what, when you retire, that changes, folks, okay? And estimating your expenses in retirement, you need to be very careful and very thorough about that. And even if you are, you may miss some big things, and I'll just leave it at that. Please, please, oh, please, okay, make sure that you do your best, okay, estimating your expenses, okay? By the way, some of the places that people fail doing that are, oh, car purchases would be a biggie, Gifts or needs by children and grandchildren are a biggie, unanticipated, and travel and vacation expenses, dining out, and often home and grounds improvement expenses, okay, and maintenance expenses. So those are just some areas. But estimate your income and expenses so that how much you're going to take out of your retirement plan. You don't want any unpleasant surprises after you're retired and you're not working anymore. And then the second uh, thing to worry about, okay, is inflation. And it's just it's just a killer, okay, over the long, a silent killer, if I was to get emotional, over the long run. Let's see, you've done the best financial planning in the world. You have this absolutely rock solid thing and you're going to need, I'll make it, you're going to need $25,000 a year from your retirement plan. Okay, nobody walks in the door a year after they retired at McNamara Financial Services and says, I need an inflationary raise on my 25,000, I need 4% more. But here's the way it works. Okay, if you're taking 25,000 a year out of your retirement plan or whatever, in two or three years, you're gonna say, that's not enough. And folks, that's inflation, okay? You have to build inflation into your long-term scenario and that's easy, it's easy and hard to do, but if most people don't pay attention to it or not aware of it, okay, that's where the tricky stuff comes from my point of view. Estimating your expenses, okay, completely, thoroughly, accurately, and without reservation is a very important thing to do. And that determines how much money you need to take out before taxes from your nest egg. And that's where you start, okay? 
And then, okay, basically, okay, please, oh, please do not underestimate, okay, inflation. Okay, so let's see here. What I think I'm going to do is do a quick summary. Next time we do this show with me, we're going to get into some of the weeds about particular kinds of investments, particular tax situations, and like some examples in real world information for people that will hopefully be helpful. But very quickly, I guess I'll just reiterate the six questions and rack it up. Okay, folks, you should be thinking about if you're taking money from your retirement plans or any place, number one, okay, number one is, pardon me while I shuffle a page here, okay, which investment box or vehicle do you take the money from? Number two, which investments in that box or vehicle do you take that money from? Number three, how's the money going to be taxed? Number four, how do you take your income? Number five, do you set aside this income in advance of your need? Number six, are you taking more than you're making? If so, how long? And the last bit of advice, okay, do some good math, get your expenses right so you can get your withdrawal rights and worry about inflation in retirement. Okay, next time we do this show, we'll get into the weeds, folks. I hope you have a good day. You can find McNamara on money on all the major podcasting platforms. New episodes drop every Monday. Tune in weekly for everything you need to know about making smart financial decisions. Subscribe today so you don't miss a single episode.